In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From time to time, there is a problem with our lectionary readings, and it is that we are dropped right into the middle, or right at the end of a passage, and we have no idea what has happened or occurred in the last 43 verses, as is our case today. And this makes the reading all the more astounding and noteworthy. So, let me see if I can bring you up to speed in the fastest Reader's Digest version of Acts 10 that you have ever heard. There is a Gentile centurion by the name of Cornelius. He is not a Jew, but has been praying to God. He is known as a God-fearer, and, and these are usually held in some esteem by Jews. Cornelius has a vision of an angel who tells him that his prayers have been answered and to send someone to fetch Simon Peter in Joppa. Now, meanwhile, Peter is praying in Joppa and receives the same vision three times. And it is this sheet coming from heaven filled with animals and reptiles and all unclean animals. Animals Jews are not permitted to eat. Peter hears Jesus say, Up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter protests three times until Jesus tells him, It is not for you to call profane what God counts clean. Near that same time, there is a knock on the door, and the people whom Cornelius has sent have arrived, and they want Peter to return with them to Caesarea to preach to Cornelius, who, as it has happened, has called all of his family and his friends in anticipation of Peter's arrival. Peter goes with them and tells Cornelius that you yourself know it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. After a brief back and forth with Cornelius about their two visions, Peter launches into a sermon that is a summary of the gospel, and when he is wrapping it up, our reading begins. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. What our reading from Acts today shows and exemplifies is that no one, not a Jew or a Gentile, not a man or a woman, not anyone who is different than us, is beyond the saving and redeeming love of Christ. This is part of the teaching of the church from its earliest beginnings. And it is something which the church must celebrate and embrace. And that's part of the rub, isn't it? We can name the people whom we know that, well, Jesus doesn't love them as much as he loves me or because of past, decision, past decisions that are bad and appalling or just downright heinous, we say, well, there is no way that he can be a Christian. 
Peter himself had to learn that even those outside of Judaism were going to be, or more correctly put, can be and are part of the church. There is only one thing that makes the church a members-only club, and that is the simplest of all professions of faith. Jesus is Lord. But beyond that, all people, or as we emphasize during the Passion, the whole world is within the reach of our Savior's loving embrace. There is no color, no age, no wealth barrier, no illness or deformity, no bad past decisions. There is not one thing that can act as a hindrance to Christ's redemptive love to each person and nation. And that is also where the church comes into play as the manifestation of Christ, as the body of Christ here on earth now. The church, you and me, are here to proclaim this good news to all people. Our chief calling in life for all of us not just for my colleagues and me who wear a collar and dress in black, but for all of us is to, is to proclaim Christ crucified, Christ risen, and Christ returning daily. And the church, the institution that we know, is here to move us forward, to provide us aid, and comfort, to be a hospital of souls, both ours and those whom we meet. There is an ancient tradition that is seeing a resurgence in today's Anglicanism, and that is referring to the church as our mother. There are several places in the prayer book, in the hymnal, that attempt to resurrect this idea. And it is a good and helpful metaphor for the church when you really think about it. In many families, it is the mother who keeps a steady eye on the children. And the church is that Christian institution that watches over us. Many times, it is our mothers who help us learn some of life's lessons, be it how to fold the laundry, or how to boil an egg, or how to read a book. It is here in the church that we are taught the lessons of living and to what discipleship looks like. Mothers care for their children, nurse them to health, Tend to them when they are sick and ill. The church is also a place to come for healing and solace and to just sit in quiet and prayer. The church, this church, is a mother 
of sorts to all of us. And through the love of Christ, through the redemptive work of our Savior, Jesus draws us all in. And while we come at first needing to be nursed and cared for and taught and have people look after us, sometimes spiritually and other times physically, we transform into that body that is the nurturing body of this world. Mother Church, as our early church fathers called this assembly, Mother Church is the corporate action of all of us together, working to teach, nurture, and heal the world around us. When the church, when you and I answer that call, we are like Peter, who goes when the call comes that someone needs them. When we answer that call, it is speaking words of hope and grace to those who need to hear them. When we answer the call of being the church, we help our brothers and sisters who are doing those things that we know are not good for them when they are falling into sin, when they are not here in this assembly with us. And we help bring them back to our Lord. When we answer the call of being part of Mother Church, we don't neglect the battered and beaten or the downtrodden and depressed or the homeless and the hungry. We find ways to nurse them to help, to sit by their bedside, to fix that home-cooked meal and prepare a bed for them. Never be astonished by who God calls and to what purposes. Well, actually, always be astonished, but never be so surprised that you begin to doubt God's redemptive power. We have had the gospel break into the Jewish world, then into the Gentile world. The gospel has broken into every nation at some point in the last 2,000 years, even if there is only a remnant of a church there today. The gospel is breaking through in people who we might scratch our heads in wonderment. What is to prevent us? What is to prevent the Church of St. Christopher's from baptizing these people? In a little while, we are going to enact something that, as far as I know, this parish has never done. We are going to receive the body of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And we are going to go and be the body of Christ. And we are literally going to go into this world as the body of Christ, into this world immediately around this building.
we are corporately going to take Christ out and sing as we go and pray the Psalms. And as we go, we will gaze on each house that we pass. And we're going to pray for that household. We don't know who are in those houses, but they are our neighbors. And we must pray for them because they are within the reach of our care. What is to prevent these people on Broadway and Georgia and Melba and Wildcat from being baptized? What is to prevent these people from coming to know Christ's love for them? What is to prevent them from becoming fellow pilgrims with us on this journey that we call faith. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.